0: Hi guys, welcome back to the What About podcast. I'm Owen and hopefully if you're a regular listener, you know the format by now. We're really excited to be starting a new series today with a slightly new style. Over the past few months at Christchurch, we've been exploring the life of Moses and the journey of the people of Israel from Egypt through the wilderness and into the promised land. The Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, which is also known as the Torah, has so much amazing richness to it that there were just some bits we couldn't cover in sermons. So on this podcast, we're gonna be picking apart some of the parts of the story we didn't get a chance to look at in detail on a Sunday morning. Welcome to Redeemed Director's Cut. Today, we're gonna be talking about the Tabernacle and I'm delighted to be joined by Ray Bodkin and Rachel Mewitt, welcome.
1: Hello.
2: Hi there.
0: Amazing. Well, do you want to just start maybe by introducing yourself, Ray, if yep. you go first?
2: Yep. It? Okay, my name is Ray Bodkin. I've been a, a member of this church since its uh, foundation just over 40 years ago. And I'm really excited about looking at this amazing subject of the tabernacle.
1: And I'm Rachel. I have been part of Christ Church, I think, for about 18 years now, joined when I was a young person. And I now work with the young people in the church on Friday nights doing youth work. And the rest of the time, I work at the local council and work with maps, which is great fun. Especially when you're looking at the Exodus.
0: (laughs) Yes, that's true, actually. Yes. No, do you have a map of the...
1: Not on me now.
0: No, no, not on you, but generally.
1: (laughs) I have many maps. You have many maps. Many maps.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting, really, because this subject is one that we've been looking at at the men's Bible group which I run every Friday we've been going through Hebrews and so it's an absolutely perfect continuation really of the things that we've been looking at
0: Mm. incredible and hopefully we'll hear a bit more about those bits as we we go through and you can bring in some of the things that you've been chatting about on the Friday mornings definitely Um, yeah Let's start really simple. We're going to be talking about the tabernacle for those guys who may be listening in who are like, well, what is a tabernacle? Ray, do you want to kick us off? What, what was the tabernacle? What is the tabernacle?
2: Well, the tabernacle is obviously a tent which was used by the children of Israel during the period of time that they were in the wilderness. It was actually designed by God and he got the plans out and sent them to Moses. And then Moses passed them on to a very interesting man called the man of Bezalel, and I can remember many years ago talking about Bezalel. And it actually says that he carried out the work of building the tabernacle. And it says he was actually a man filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm. And I can remember talking to a man who was very practical. And as I mentioned the fact that he was a man filled with the Spirit, he said, can a practical man be filled with the Spirit? And I said, most definitely. And you know, from that moment on, he was baptized with the Holy Spirit. And became very prophetic and had a very real healing ministry. So it was very exciting. Just that one thought, how it can change a person's life and their walk with God.
1: Yeah, my understanding is that it was, as Ray said, a, a pretty big tent where I think most of Exodus is, is actually made up of the plans and the dimensions and you know the descriptions of the frames and the pillars and how it's all meant to look. But it's you know it's this big tent where actually God dwelt with His people in in the wilderness, a place for Him to. To reside with his people and enjoy fellowship, a place of worship, a place where there's sacrifice and a place where there's intercession as well. So quite a central key thing for the people of Israel at that time in their wandering to have a place where they could go and meet with God, the God that brought them out of, of Egypt.
2: Mm. Yeah I mean it's interesting that Andrew Wilson said it was where God lived in a box mm-hmm. and you know that is basically the truth. Although God obviously inhabits the whole of heaven and the whole of the earth, actually his presence was there within the Holy of Holies and as we were looking through Hebrews in in our study we saw that there were three things um, in that particular box and the first was actually a, a jar of manna which talked about God's provision the second thing was that actually Aaron's rod, which was actually staffed. It was his staff, and it actually budded at one stage, which really shows God's authority, that he had the authority to do that. And then the third thing was obviously the stone tablets of the commandments. And so all those three things Hebrew tells us were actually within that Ark of the Covenant. So it's very different to Raiders of the Lost Ark.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah it's funny you mentioned about the holy of holies and obviously that is the one part of the tabernacle you've got the holy place or the tent of meeting then you've got kind of the courtyard as well haven't you and only is i think i'm right thinking only the priests could go into the the holy place and only the high priest could go into the holy of holies where god was once a year whereas everyone else was really much you know outside rest of israel went into the the courtyard to to give their sacrifices so it really was a, a holy place it wasn't just a big tent. It was There was a holiness about it where God's glory fell. I think it mentions in Exodus 40, doesn't it, where God came, God's presence kind of descended on the tabernacle as a cloud. And Moses couldn't even go in at one point because there was a weight of glory. So it was a really key place to, to meet with God.
0: And there's that sense of God really proclaiming who he is, I think, through through the the tabernacle in you know you talk about being being a dwelling place and that sense of God you know God descending and 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 dwelling within a place and His presence filling a place to such an extent that yeah as you say it's it's the holiness is so potent that actually it is deadly for those who go in without just that awe and respect and that cleanliness that only sort of sacrifice can can bring but also it's a sense of actually when God then. Moves with because obviously the thing about the tabernacle is it's a tent it's it's movable you know God then says right we're off and his his presence you know doesn't leave I suppose leave makes it sound like he's gone gone but moves into and then they pick up and they they take it down and even then you know only the priests are meant to take down the tabernacle and take the tabernacle it's meant to be an incredibly holy. um Structure and a holy proceeding of taking that down and, and moving it on, which, you know, then we see physically built in, in the temple.
2: Yeah, I think it really sort of indicates to us the two characteristics of God, really. The first is, you know, that he is holy. And, you know, we do have to be very careful, you know, that we don't just see God as our daddy, but actually we do see the holiness of God. And that comes out very clearly, you know, because... Only once a year is the high priest allowed to go in to the Holy of Holies and it's called Yom Kippur today and it was such a holy place. And yet the other thing is, of course, God's imminence. He is actually here present with the children of Israel and he is here present this afternoon with the three of us as we meet together. And that's such a wonderful truth, isn't it?
0: Hmm. It, is the, it is an incredible thing that we have a god who is both of those things and and both of those things which almost seem like a dichotomy are made true and full in him mm. that he is other and holy but he is near and dear and Absolutely. both yeah. of those things can be true it's incredible <laughs> and i think you only see that within the god of the bible yeah nowhere else do you see a god who dwells with his people whilst also you can never question god's holiness and his authority and sovereignty and I think I suppose that's the that's the importance of of the tabernacle in so many ways isn't it that he says no I'm not um you need to realize that I am holy and other and I need this I will have this space and but through my grace I will inhabit it and you can interact (laughs) with me that's right
2: which is what Rachel was saying you know it's so clear in scripture the glory of the Lord Mm -hmm. fills the temple you know God was there totally and completely as he was in the rest of the earth but that was where people could actually meet with him at that particular time
1: Mm. i I quite like where it comes at this part of the story in exodus as well because as a church we know we've been looking at how god remembered the covenant promise he he responded in in love and he rescued them from from egypt and established a new nation but here he was able to then remain with his people. And I love, there's a there's a brilliant picture that Andrew Wilson paints when he talks about God drawing the people out of Egypt to draw them in mm. to him, drawing them into him, that they, he would dwell with them, that they would experience him in that place of worship and in that place of kind of wholeness, that peace. And I just, I love that as well. And actually... The the instructions, I think, uh, come pretty much after lots of grumbling and lots of moaning in the desert with the the Israelites in their wanderings. Actually, God's response isn't one of drawing away from the, Mm. the, the moans and the groans and to just ignore them and to just take a back seat, but it's actually to draw near and to draw them near as well. And I, I really love that, because it's the last thing you would expect in that moment. You know, God has rescued them, he's provided for them water, he's provided bread from heaven, and they're still moaning and moaning and moaning, looking back, wishing, I wish we are back in Egypt, we had it easy there, forgetting that they were majorly oppressed, and they weren't happy, and actually God in his grace, as you just said, comes close to them and draws them near. So I love that. I
0: think it's something that whenever I speak to someone and, you know, when people say, you know, oh, the God of the Old Testament is sort of rough and all these different things. And the God of the New Testament is fluffy and wonderful and lovely. Once you get to Jesus, there's actually a quote in a, I think it's a Discworld book, where they try and do a ripoff of that. And they say, in his smiting days before he got religion. And I think often people do view God like that. And I just yeah. look at th- I look at God in the Old Testament I say, look, just look at the way he treats Israel. He has so much grace, so much patience, so much love. He is that tender way that he draws them close, as you said, each time. And, you know, even at Sinai, you know, God is speaking to Moses on the mountain. They build a golden calf whilst, you know, thunder and lightning is flowing on the mountain they're down in the valley doing that and you're like but he still draws them back to him it's just a beautiful picture it's,
1: it's that picture isn't it of that mighty hand and that outstretched arm yeah. you know where we you know I think in Exodus it even talks about God bringing the Israelites out of Egypt by the power of his mighty hand mm. yet with mercy and compassion is just giving and giving and giving yeah. more of his provisions but also himself and his his presence which comes with his protection and, you know, because nations knew the Israelites were there and they were fearful of that nation as well because they knew that their God was with them.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's all seen, isn't it? And the amazing provision that God makes for those children as they go through the wilderness, um, you know, with the manna that's always there, always provision. So God's heart is always for his people during the whole of that journey. And you think, God, I wouldn't have done that. (laughs) 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 I'd have written them off straight away, Lord, I really would. But God's not like that. God's just not Mm -hmm. like us. He's full of that grace, full of that mercy, and it's, it's lovely how it's continued on in the life of Jesus mm. where he had compassion. And you really sense, don't you, as, as you go through Exodus, the c- continued compassion that God has. And for these, his children, that's, that's who mm. they are. They are his children, they are the children of God. Mm. And he just loves them with an infinite love, unchanging love. And it's not mm. affected by what they do, it's a consistent Love towards each one of them, that's, that's the amazing part.
1: Take so much comfort from that, don't you? Because mm. you just kind of think, you know, in your own life, you know, when you're wandering, you know, the fact that actually in your wanderings, God is with you yeah. and yeah. he'll never leave. And yeah. there, is, there is comfort and there's protection in his presence mm. for us. I mean, I think that's just an amazing thing, yeah. just by way of application, even yeah.
2: so. I remember someone saying that, you know, it's there, there's always light at the end of the tunnel. And that's a phrase that we often use. And I can remember someone saying, that's not the truth. The truth is actually that the light is with you. Mm. In the darkness, it's not at the end of the tunnel. Actually, the the light is walking with you. And that sense you get, don't you, with the moving of the tabernacle. Mm. God directs his Mm. people through the Holy Spirit, that cloud, that fire, and when the fire comes or the cloud comes, then it's the time to move. Yeah." And that's really how we should be. We should be looking for the Holy Spirit mm. and saying, what's my next move? What is the next thing that you want me to do, Lord?
0: Mm. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting, I suppose, moving on, because we talk about, obviously, that the tabernacle and, and then being a precursor to the temple, as, as we've mentioned, and the temple is then a physical structure. But then you've obviously mentioned Jesus who comes. And the wording that's used, I believe, in... Um, Oh, is it in John, in in the gospel where it says about Jesus dwelling with us? That word is tabernacling, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Tabernacle exactly. with us. Exactly he, that word. Yeah. He is with us. He walks with us. And then the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And that sense of almost sounds a bit strange, but each step of the way, God being like, Look how close I can be with you. Look how much I can walk with you. Look how much I'm going to care and dwell with you. And each step it gets almost closer and closer. You know, he's in a tabernacle, he's in a tent, he's in a he's in the temple in the center of the city of God in Jerusalem. And then he's with Jesus, walking with his disciples. And then he's in us. And it's like each step it's almost like like a ring. And he sort of steps in each time in in the different circles until he is dwelling right with us. And I think it That definitely comes back to what you said, Ray, of of the two characteristics of God in that, of a God who is holy and and amazing, but also who wants to dwell and move with his people.
2: Mm. Yeah, I think as we actually look at Scripture, actually, you know, we have Revelation, which actually said, you know, God and the Lamb are the temple. Mm. And then we move on to Ephesians, and we realize that the church is actually the temple. And then we get even closer, we are believers are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You know, as Paul says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. How much closer <laughs> can God get to us than actually we are God's dwelling? His Holy Spirit lives within each of us believers.
1: The other thing we haven't mentioned so much uh, yet is the, the fact that one of the important things about Tabernacle is that it is the place of where offerings were bought, whether mm. that was sin offerings, grain offerings, burnt offerings. It was the place that the, the people bought their own offerings at their, at their own cost to make sure that they were right with, with God and where the priests were then able to represent the people mm and the priests were also able to then represent god to the people and and be that kind of that that mediator yeah absolutely and 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 i think that is one of the important things about the tabernacle is that you've got that mediation where people can come and they can get you know get right with god and 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 obviously it's a place where there's ceremonial cleansing and so they're actually having to wash as well aren't they in the presence of this other perfect holy god and I think that is, is quite a, a significant thing with the, the temple. And obviously we, we see that in sorry in the tabernacle, we see that in the temple, and then we also see that in the story of, of Jesus mm. and and the, the, the similarities and the connotations and, and imagery that we get with the cleansing and the blood and all of those things all the way through the story of, of, of God.
2: And yeah. that is really part of, of what happens. You know, once a year on the Day of Atonement, when the priest actually goes in to the Holy of Holies and he actually presents a sin offering for himself. But then he presents a sin offering for the people. And then we come to the New Testament and we understand that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So Jesus, you know, is our sacrifice. He is the one who laid down his life that we can have that right of entering into God's presence. And so that whole sense of, of blood sacrifice carries through you know, the whole. And, and John says, doesn't he, quite clearly when he sees Jesus, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And God says, you know, at Jesus' baptism, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. So you see that coming right the way through the scripture. In fact, it goes back even further you know, when Isaac says, where is the lamb? And basically, God
0: John, will provide the
2: lamb. Yeah, Absolutely. And then John the Baptist says, here is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then we get to Revelation and it says, worthy is the lamb. Let's worship the lamb. So that whole sense of the lamb and of, of the sacrifice goes right the way through the Old Testament into the New Testament. And, you know, we know that our sins have been washed and we have been cleansed because of that shed blood of Jesus upon the cross.
0: Mm. I remember Mike Pilavachi once speaking about it in New Day and going through the story of Isaac and Abraham taking Isaac and the sacrifice and and, and all of that and going through each point and you know the sense of the fact that they get to the base of Mount Moriah and then um, Isaac puts the wood for the sacrifice on himself and that sense of like Jesus you know he carries the cross through Mm. Jerusalem and then you have that point where he says you know where is the lamb he says God will provide the lamb and then you find a ram caught in the thicket not a lamb and it's not until John says that really that that promise is fully uh realized that prophetic overspread that Abraham saw in part is revealed fully in the sense of Um, it's almost like, you know, Abraham is speaker A and John is speaker B, but they're sat sort of thousands of years apart. And just the, the beauty of that. I think one thing I find really interesting, I know this is slightly off of the topic, but to a certain extent, it's not. You said about the, obviously the day of atonement. One thing I've always wondered, why, why is it Passover that Jesus dies at? Why is it not the day of atonement? What do you think, Ray?
2: I've never really thought about that, to be quite honest. It's not, I mean, obviously, when we think of the Passover, we actually are clearly looking at the very fact that the deliverance for the children of Israel came when they actually put the blood Mm. over the door and over the lintels. And that is exactly the same with us. You know, it is actually the blood of Jesus shed upon the cross. That allows us the freedom in Christ that we we actually have. No longer are we slaves, but through the blood of Christ, the angel of death has passed over us, and we are now children of God. That's where the the great change took place. So, I think that's where I would see the difference. Is that the the blood that was actually
0: mm-hmm. sacrificed? It's it's just really interesting. So, if you look at the Day of Atonement, and that is the time in which the people's sins are cleansed. You know that the, the yep. blood. Of the sacrificed lamb at the day of atonement is the one that takes that that propitiation which we see on the cross as opposed to that passing over element and i just think it's really interesting it's a conversation we had once at moorlands and it came up in a lecture i don't think i've fully quite sort of decided upon myself you know where i stand on it but i just thought it was an interesting interesting thought you know that actually jesus chose when he was going to die god chose when jesus was going to die so there was something about Passover that just brought something prophetic of that nature that they chose over the Day of Atonement.
2: Yeah, and I mean, it was a Passover feast, which Jesus actually celebrated mm. with his disciples mm. <laughs> just prior to the crucifixion taking place. And I mean, you know, we know that regularly Jesus went on a, on, a, on the Passover. Mm. We read yeah. on three occasions in, in the New Testament that Jesus shared in the Passover in some way or other. So for him, I think the Passover really indicated the angel of death passing over the world in which we live but we are covered by the blood.
1: I was going to say it's you know the fact that it's a feast as well there's a, a remembering but also a kind of a, a celebration of what God has done looking back. I think quite often it, Feasts are quite significant in Scripture, so I wonder whether the the fact that it is on this 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 feast that has been going on ever since uh, the beginning of Exodus, when and when they're in the wilderness, and God says, "Do this every year." <laughs> um, I and wonder it's whether that's the, way the significance. It's actually
2: carried over, and Jesus said, "Do this in remembrance of me." Mm. You know, so we now share not only a Passover feast, but we share in the communion when we come to the table of the Lord, mm. and uh, you know, we remember His blood shared for us we remember yeah. the bread and his life broken for us and that through the broken body of jesus we actually receive that healing both spiritually and physically
0: mm. and uh, stop me if i'm taking this too far i wonder in the sense of you think about what uh, the new testament what paul writes about the law being it's almost the guardian and that sense of almost passover it's, it's an annual thing whilst communion is a life thing Communion is, you know, as often as you gather, yeah, yeah. do, this, do in this in remembrance, remembrance of me. Of me. And that sense of almost Jesus is, just as Jesus in, I think Jesus raises the bar in many areas. You know, you think mm. about when he talks about sin, a lot of people think Jesus is sort of very liberal on sin. He's, he's not. He makes it a lot harder for people. And sense. you know, he doesn't just say don't murder. He says, don't be angry with people because you've murdered in your heart. In the same way, he says the bar's raising sense of it's not just doing the annual things. It's doing life.
1: Well, we see that in the tabernacle once a year, the high mm. priest could go into the Holy of Holies. And now because of Jesus, we can enter into God's presence ourselves mm. any day, not just once a year annually. So I think, I think that's... Because
0: he is the high priest. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Because everything finds its fulfillment in Christ.
0: Mm. Yes, it is. It is in, I suppose it's interesting as well because Jesus then becomes, to a certain extent, each part of the tabernacle he becomes the high priest he becomes the sacrifice he becomes the altar he sort of embodies all of it except that then he says that we're the temple of the holy spirit yeah
1: i think that i think that's something i've noticed when i was kind of looking through the 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 story of the tabernacle for today and and that you know there were lights in the tabernacle that were never allowed allowed to go out And Jesus is the light of the world there was a place for incense to be burned and representing kind of the prayers and and actually got Jesus intercedes for us and you know we've got the, the the ceremonial washing what Jesus makes clean and there's so many stories in the gospel of when Jesus um, with the lady that was was bleeding for many years Jesus made her clean and that was the ceremonial cleansing mm, of her yeah. that was by far the most significant thing, because she was unable to go to the temple and and, and worship, mm. and so I think there's there are a lot of there's a lot of imagery that is tabernacle imagery, mm. that was then temple imagery that we then see in, in Jesus as well. In I think that's yeah, I mean, I think, it
2: is, I think it is. I think that's a very interesting comment you've made there, because actually there are some people who would actually say John wrote his gospel based on walking through Mm -hmm. the tabernacle walking through the temple and he starts with the sacrifice of lamb you know and so jesus said i'm the light of the world i am the bread of life all those things that you have brought out as you go through and john could well have been thinking of the tabernacle and having that in his mind when he actually wrote his gospel
0: i think what what i i hear from you guys and and obviously as i think through it myself is just that thread i think is what I'd say, of, of God teaching his people, drawing them to him slowly but surely over time. And that thread of temple and tabernacle coming through to the point in which it is the, the climax of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I think, as so often with, with scripture, what is the importance of the tabernacle? It points us to Jesus. It points us towards a God who wants to dwell with his people to the extent in which he comes and inhabits takes on human form fully human fully god the tabernacle should always point us to jesus just mm. as many things in scripture are there to just remind us and point us to to christ and that their fulfillment are always found in in christ what what do you think that looks like god dwelling with his people because i'm interested in terms of we spoke about earlier about god's giving these things to his people to be different to other nations, to be different to the world. How do you think the the tabernacle, the temple, what does that look like in terms of when you look at other religions at the time, other religions here, how does it differ that, you know, a Christian says, actually, I, God dwells with me. How is that different?
1: I think I don't know a great deal about the, the other religions at the, at the time, but I know a little bit from what we've done in the, the as a church and, and looking at the, the gods, the Egyptian gods. You know, there were very much several different Egyptian gods and, and they were very much distant. And you look at some of the religions today, I'm thinking specifically of, of Islam, and, and Allah is, is quite a, a distant god. And I think that is quite normal for some religions to have a god who is is holy and 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 distant Mm. rather than holy and present and near and i think that is quite an unusual thing to to have for for, you know for israel at the time especially Mm. to to have this this tabernacle with the with the presence and um A visible presence as well with the cloud and and you know as you said when the cloud left the the tent they they followed it and and they moved the tabernacle which would have been quite some feat Mm. as well to to dissemble and re-erect the tent everywhere they went but i think for for other religions that would have been quite an unusual thing to see at the time because their gods would have been distant another and and uh, yahweh was not
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's the key thing really, isn't it? That, you know, with our God, we have a personal relationship and other religions do not have that personal relationship of the ability of hearing God speaking to you, but equally the opportunity of you speaking to God. And, uh, you know, the psalmist is quite clear (laughs) on many occasions, you know, you're worshipping a God um, who eyes and can't see, who has ears and can't hear, a mouth who cannot speak. Um, But actually, we have a God who speaks to us through his word on a daily basis. And I think, as you said earlier on about the the Old Testament and the New Testament, God changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament. That we know is not the truth. You know, the clear thing is that, you know, the, the New Testament is actually concealed in the Old Testament and the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. So as we look at the Old Testament, we actually see in the New Testament how all of these things, these, these pictures, these types, have actually come to life hmm. in Jesus. And you know that that thought of, of of the ark, you know, an amazing type of how God shut the door and how secure we are in God. He's closed the door. And we, as his children, are secure in him. And as the storms of life come, so we're lifted above. And we get exactly the same picture then for, for, the, for the temple. And it's moved on to the tabernacle, something that is not something that's moving, but something that is permanent. It's amazing that you know, we think of David as a, a man of God and a man after God's own heart. And yet he wasn't allowed to build the temple. Mm. But his grace, that God is a God of grace, his grace is there because he did so much in helping Solomon, his son build that temple. Mm -hmm. You know, he gave the money, he gave the timber, he gave the people, he ministered. So he didn't, as perhaps many of us would stand one side and say, okay, you get on with it. Mm. No, I'm going to be part of this. This is God's calling upon my life. Now, I may not be doing what is that ultimate building of the temple, but nevertheless, I'm going to contribute everything I possibly can to building something that's going to be glorifying to God. And exactly the same words come when the temple is dedicated. Mm. The Spirit of God came and the glory of God was there in the temple, the same as it was in the tabernacle. Mm. And then you move on to us and the glory of God rests in each one of us and we're a reflection, or should be a reflection, of God's grace, of God's mercy, of God's compassion, in the world in which we live.
0: I think it's it's interesting you mentioned that. I suppose that sense of you have obviously the tabernacle, the temple. The temple is destroyed under the Babylonians, and then you get this second temple that is built with uh, Zerubbabel coming back and and the building of, of that temple. But we don't see the spirit descending on that temple as we do in the tabernacle and the, the first temple. Mm. And that sense of, of God saying, almost sort of saying, no, you, you don't understand there is more. There mm. is more coming that you don't yet understand, which we then see is perfectly fulfilled and shown through through Jesus.
2: Yeah, but the interesting um, thing is that it was another temple, of course, which Ezekiel had a a, a vision of, and that temple never ever came into being. Mm. But once again, it says in Ezekiel, that the glory of the Lord filled that visionary temple. Mm. You know, as we look through the Old Testament, we see these amazing prophets who saw things through the eyes of God, and were able to indicate to the the people of God, actually there is something more that we're all looking forward to. And that fulfillment comes in Jesus.
0: You mentioned earlier revelation and obviously i'd love to just talk a little bit about that in the sense of we've spoken about the the holy spirit sort of dwelling within us that you know that paul says we are the temple of the holy spirit that is enough i'm assuming in terms of you would say that we we are not looking to have a physical temple there is no there will not be a physical temple ever more built because the people of god are the temple. Would you say that's what it? Yeah, revelation I, points yeah,
2: to? I think that's what Revelation says. I mean, if you actually turn to Revelation 21, 22, John has this amazing revelation and he says, I did not see a temple in the city. Why? Because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple. Now, we do get the temple mentioned in worship and that sort of thing. But I think in that situation, the temple represents the presence of God. You know, when we're looking at the earlier chapters of Revelation, where worship takes place, the presence of God was there. And because the presence of God was there, then people fell down in worship. Exactly the same as Thomas. Thomas said, you know, unless I see the nail prints in his hand and his side, when Jesus reveals himself to him, there's only one thing he can do. He falls down and worships. And so I think, you know, that that's where we've got this glorious picture, really, that God and the Lamb are the temple. The church, Ephesians tells us, we are the temple of, uh, of God. And as we come together and worship, so God joins us in our worship and we become part of, of that worship of the holiness and the awe-inspiring God. But nevertheless, the Father God, whom we have. And so, you know, that picture is carried right the way through. God and the lamb of the temple, the church is the temple. When we meet, God is there. Mm. We are that building that has been created by God with Jesus as the cornerstone. Mm. And then finally, you know, the, mm. the very fact that, amazingly, when we become believers, can I, can I sort of just share a testimony yeah, with you? Yeah. I mean, I was brought up in, in the Anglican church. And I mean, the only thing we knew about in the Anglican church in those days was the Holy Ghost and the Holy Ghost just seemed an ethereal person way out there. And so that was the teaching you know I received. But as a 15-year-old on the, on the Norfolk Broads, clearly God said to me, I died for you, will you live for me? And that changed my life from that moment of time as a 15-year-old back in 1950. But it took me actually 26 more years before I was baptised by immersion. And the reason I was baptised by immersion is that I said to God, I want to grow more in you. And God said, you've had an Anglican background, you were christened as an infant, you've always accepted that, but actually there is more. I want you actually to be baptised by immersion. I want to know that you've totally died to yourself and you've raised to a new life in me. And so I was baptised and it was a very exciting time and particularly in view of the fact that two other people were baptized at the same time as me, not expecting to do so, but were invited to come in and be baptized. And also a person, a young person who was actually there as a waitress at the conference centre, Christian conference centre, where actually was converted as a consequence of those baptisms. So God honoured that situation. But it wasn't until I really felt, probably a couple of years later, God, I need more power from on high. And you know, Jesus said, "You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you." And it was at that moment that I was baptized by the Holy Spirit. And from that moment onwards, I had an experience of the presence of God more powerfully than I'd ever had before. Mm. So that's really sort of my testimony of, mm. of of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and knowing that constantly, day by day, He is there. He's available and i'm safe and secure in him he's my rock
0: yeah mm. that was your your dedication of the temple moment yeah absolutely
2: <laughs> absolutely.
1: Mm. absolutely amazing so i i love that actually your your testimony really does just resounding a, a fellowship with the father isn't it and that's what we're looking at mm. you know throughout scripture you know starting way back in in eden where god walked with adam and eve yeah. to where we see it all went slightly wrong but you've got the tabernacle where god wanted to draw his people back to him and meet with them. where we've got the temple then we've got when christ comes and i mean he drew the crowds to him mm. like like nothing thousands and thousands to 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 hear him share god's love and looking forward and in, into into to heaven where you know whereas you know tabernacle temple there was very specific dimensions very specific instructions it was very much kind of a, a made of human hands you know but it goes back almost full restoration from where it was the Eden mm-hmm. kind of where God created him and to 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 Revelation where where you know it's it's all fully restored and god will dwell with his people forever you know Mm. there will be eternal fellowship with the father yeah i love that yeah
0: i think it's interesting actually we haven't mentioned eden before but eden is that sort of that uh proto temple isn't it in the sense of it's that sense of god creates the the world however he sets aside a specific place where his his priests at Adam and Eve dwell, and where and and are and dwell with him, and he comes and dwells with them and walks with them, and obviously it looks different to any other temple that we see. Then for the rest of Scripture until we get to Christ and and the dwelling of the Holy Spirit, because obviously Adam and Eve don't need to. There's no need to go in once a year. There's no need to fear because they are perfect and and that holiness of God, though awe-inspiring and incredible, it's different. And then yes, we see that second. I don't want to call it a second Eden, but just because it's it's so much more than Eden ever was because i think there's one thing that i i love when we look at scripture is that god doesn't just return us to where genesis 1 was he we are now adopted and the holy spirit dwells within us in a new way and he will dwell with us for eternity which which i think is more than we see in in genesis 1 is more than we see with adam and eve and god having as we've said throughout this more i think god just saying i want more of you and there is more of me to show you and there is yeah i think that's the thing isn't it there's always more of god no matter how much we how how eternity that we we will have to be with him and learn about him there will always be more mm. and
2: i mean the beauty of genesis really in that picture is that they walked together mm. with god you know and the beauty for us is that day by day we can walk with god and i don't want god ever to say where are you, Ray? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say, here I am, Lord, um, send me, you know, in exactly the way as, as Isaiah as did. He sees the glory of God and falls down and says, yeah, I'm here, Lord, just to, just to serve you. And, you know, that's my heart. And I'm sure it's the heart of all God's people is that we will be available to serve him. Yeah,
0: mm. no, it is something that I, I love in, in that Isaiah 6 passage in comparison to Revelation, that sense of seeing the glory of God and Isaiah falling down and being just so aware of his inadequacies, you know, I'm a man of unclean lips and amongst the people of unclean lips, but here I am, send me, use me as best I as best I can be used. And then in Revelation, you know, seeing the glory of God, but the wonder and you don't see, no one is, because they're clean, mm. they've been cleaned by the lamb, the, the lamb's blood is, is enough for them to be clean for eternity and, and yeah. be with God for eternity. Yeah amazing yeah to to just to close i suppose i'm just gonna ask you both maybe in i suppose a sentence if you could just say you know from all that we've said what is one thing that has amazed you when looking at the tabernacle god's dwelling place all that we've spoken about today just one thing that's you know praise god for for x ray do you want to kick us off
2: yeah, I think the thing that amazes me most of all is that the incarnation, that God actually became man mm. and dwelt among us and showed us what God is like and showed us what we should be like.
1: Yeah. I was going to say uh, similar lines in terms of, you mentioned, Owen, that referencing John 1, where actually it says that God tabernacled mm. and, and among his people and, and just that imagery, everything we've talked about today with the tabernacle. And it reaching its fulfillment in jesus but even then pointing to the future and all that holds and and that kind of everlasting fellowship with the father i think that for me is is um one of the most exciting things to kind of look forward to (laughs) Mm.
0: yeah definitely and i think when whenever i think about that sense of god tabernacling with us god i love the phrase almost god camping with us as we get to the summer and we get to new day and things like that and you after you spent a week in a tent um you realize i think um a little bit in a tiny tiny way of jesus tabernacling with us being in a human body giving up the, you know the amazing things of heaven for that for that time what that looks like because of camping is dirty and smelly and <laughs> difficult and not always with the sort of pleasures and comforts of home and I want there's just that sense almost of you know jesus steps into this world and camps with us tabernacles with us walks with us through our messes and through our mistakes through our good times and our bad when we try try our hardest to live for him and when there are days where things don't go well and he loves us throughout it all he wants to dwell with us he wants to be with us um And if you're listening in today and you don't know jesus you maybe have never heard about jesus before or you've you know heard about christianity for your whole life but maybe you don't know this god who wants to dwell with you and love you and who died for you please get in contact with the church we'd love to talk with you more and if you want to give your life to jesus right now you have the opportunity to do so i'm just going to pray to close our time together of talking through the tabernacle thank you so much ray and rachel for joining me thank you for this conversation it's been really really good i'm just going to pray to close Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that as we look through your words, we are struck time and time again about how you love to dwell with your people, that you are on that journey with your people, guiding the way. And Lord, that is true for the Israelites in the desert. And that is true for us today as the Holy Spirit Mm. dwells within us and guides us and takes us on that sanctification journey to be more like you, Jesus. And Lord, I pray for anyone listening in who doesn't know you that you would just reveal yourself to them reveal your love your care and your truth amen amen Amen. thank you so much for listening guys join us next month when we're going to be continuing this series on redeemed director's cut and we're going to be looking a little bit into the law so we'll see you then god bless